Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. We are the show that tackles some uh, pretty difficult topics sometimes. This time, not a difficult topic, but one maybe a lot of us, myself included, are not as aware of as we should be. And so I'm hoping that uh, our guest can, can help alleviate those issues for us. Thank you for joining us, Linda Smallenberger. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We are uh, Linda is executive director of, and I know I'm going to butcher this. So tell me the name of the organization. It's the Kenemiwu Family Healing Center. Yeah, Kenemiwu. Kenemiwu. No, okay. Right. Okay, and, great. Family Healing Center. And she's been working in Indian country for more than 25 years in tribal gaming and social services, but she also has a background in domestic violence and sexual assault, and um, we're going to pick her brain in that particular aspect today. Linda, I can uh, read your resume, but it might be more useful and, and more entertaining for you to tell us how did you get into this field? How did you uh, uh, focus on domestic violence when it comes to the Native American culture? Um, After being in the casino industry with Indian gaming for more than 10 years, I decided I need to utilize myself for something else. And I went with a social service department on the reservation that was just beginning a domestic violence program. And I had gotten my substance abuse certification through UOP here in California and decided I would utilize that as an advocate in 1997 and also as a uh, substance abuse counselor for their domestic violence sexual assault program on the reservation. And that uh, program, Kinet Miwoo means the first people, and it was started by the Tuolumne Band of Miwoks in 1997 here in uh, the Sierra Foothills of California. Okay. I am woefully ignorant, and for that I apologize in advance. But why do we need anything special to address the issues of domestic violence when it comes to the Native American population? Because there's, there's more than 555 tribes in the United States. A lot of people don't know that. In California, there's more than 109 tribes in the state of California with several... Yeah, with 30 to 40 that are trying to get recognized by the federal government. So tribes are sovereign nations that have government-to-government contracts. And so as those sovereign nations, there's – okay, this is going to get kind of stretched out, but California is one of six states that's a public law 280 state that has had jurisdiction turned over to law enforcement – for the benefit of um, all tribes needing assistance with law enforcement, where some tribes, like in South Dakota, Minnesota, have their own tribal courts, which we are now have 19 tribal courts in California that are taking over their jurisdiction. And because of those issues where our tribes are located at, very far off, very up in the foothills, very isolated, it was very hard for somebody to recognize that women that were getting battered by non-Native men needed assistance. They weren't their their uh, sexual assault domestic violence needs weren't being met and men weren't being held accountable because they were not members of that reservation they were not tribal members so there was a big loophole it was okay. violence so we're talking Indian about men, men, um, men who are not tribal members but they're living yes. on a reservation or not living on a reservation they're either living on it or else they might live off of it and come and have a girlfriend on the reservation. Um, so they're back and forth. They might be working on the reservation in a casino or something, um, some type of work that's on the reservation, and have access to Indian women. Okay. All right. So, and so nobody was holding those guys accountable. No, because there was a loophole in jurisdiction issues because they weren't tribal members before Wawa had decided to implement um, special needs that tribal um, programs needed and tribal women needed for their safety and their sovereignty issues. 
Okay. So basically what we're talking about is um, jurisdictions and who has the right to do what to whom uh, legally and to hold them accountable for domestic violence. And you mentioned VAWA, the Violence Against Women Act, which was renewed uh, amidst lots of controversy last year, last year or the year before? 2015. It was last, I, yes. Yeah. yeah um, last year. And, and some of that controversy was specifically about this issue. Some people objected um, to the inclusion of um, tribal populations specifically in VAWA. So, and what you're saying is, is that this addition to VAWA last year, Violence Against Women Act, actually closed that loophole. Why was it so controversial? Because the loophole was that the the tribe couldn't hold accountable, excuse me, they couldn't hold accountable the men that were doing these horrific crimes to Indian women But it's the same situation many, 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 many years ago when Indian children were being taken off away from their homes during the assimilation of Indian people into that ICWA was applied where there's an Indian Child Welfare Act. They were protecting Indian children. So we have that law now protecting Indian women because they are their own sovereign nation. They're their own country. In other words, inside of the United States. So the laws didn't always pertain to tribal grounds or tribal reservations. Yeah. I guess what so I'm having problems they... with is who would object to changing a law so that these guys don't that these guys face consequences for their actions. Who would? Who, why was that a controversial thing to do? Um, people that really I'm... don't understand the dynamics of reservations and uh, their own. They have their own government. They have their own uh, social service departments. Not everybody gets a big check every month like people think. And so they run their own tribe as they run their own nation or their own country. So they have to protect their own. And that excluded non-Native people that were battering the Indian women and are sexually assaulting our Indian women. And when those crimes were committed, all of a sudden, the government would come in or law, local law enforcement and say, well, we don't have jurisdiction on your reservation. And then the tribe didn't have jurisdiction. So those men knowing are the batterers, men or women, know that they could get away with committing those acts of violence. And that's why the numbers are so high. Okay. All right. So, but now we've taken care of that issue and tribes yes. have the authority um, to yes. take care of men who are battering women on the reservation And uh, how has that changed things? Well, for uh, California Public Law 280 State, um, we're one of six that, like I said, law enforcement had jurisdiction. And when I take a woman to court, I take her into the county courthouse because uh, up in the foothills here, the Sierra Foothills, we have no tribal courts. But on out of state, um, South Dakota, where they have uh, large Indian populations, we're talking 30, 40, 50,000 Indians living in one area, tribal courts, uh, tribal, more tribal housing, those type of things. Now they were able to um, apply limited jurisdiction to those batterers and hold them accountable. And they fought for that for years to be able to have that in place. Great. Okay, so let's talk about this whole issue of Native American women and domestic violence. Um, the statistics on domestic violence for women in general, is pretty, they're pretty horrific. Am I correct in saying it's even worse for tribal women? Because of those jurisdiction issues, yes, because once somebody commits that act, like I had said, out of California, not with our Public Law 280 state, they couldn't hold them accountable. Even in California now where we have over 19 tribal courts out of our 140 tribes here, I mean 104 tribes here, um, those tribes are now have that to where they can impose um, time, jail time, and they can hand down sentencing to those batterers that commit those crimes on tribal lands where they could not do that before. So that's the high numbers, like I had said, that why Indian women are better, because they were easy prey. You know, go on tribal lands, you know, assault a woman, nobody holds you accountable because of jurisdiction issues that were that big loophole for many years. Are you saying that men batterers actually knew this and, and tailored their behavior that way? Sure, sure. 
I had a friend from a tribe that was uh, pretty close to a prison, and those men knew that once they got out of the prison, if they went over to that tribal location, which was a big tribe, not in California, but that they could assault a woman and they wouldn't be held accountable because the tribe didn't have jurisdiction over their actions. At that time, even though they had a tribal court, they couldn't prosecute them. And then the state couldn't step in and prosecute them because it was on tribal lands. So that that's a big loophole for many, many, many years. And that's why the numbers of Indian women and plus the services, we had no services on tribal lands for many years for women to access and the numbers are probably should be a lot higher, but women wouldn't come forward because there was no services for them to access. Are the consequences or are the, the um, how do I phrase this question? It's hard enough for any woman to come forward and ask for help when it comes to domestic violence, whether from the law or from her social support group. Is it right. the same or different for Native American women? Um, I would say it's the same, if more so. A lot of times, um, let's say in California, we have tribes that are anywhere from just 50 Indians on one rancheria reservation up to several thousand Indians. And a lot of times, um, politics, they might not want to come forward and talk. It might be somebody that other people know, look up to, and, and they might not want to address that. But more so now than not, I've been doing domestic violence with Indian people for over 20 years, and they are getting stronger, and Indian women are taking that stand and speaking against that batterer. But it's still an ongoing process to make them stronger so there's no repercussions or fallout from the tribe, you know, if, they, if the wrong person is uh, mentioned. According to the Department of Justice numbers, in 2008, which is the most recent numbers that, that I could find, 39% of Native women surveyed identified themselves as victims of intimate partner violence in their lifetime. And that's higher than yes. any other number I've seen for any other group or, or population. Why? Well, it's like our agency. We run a small agency in the Sierra foothills, and... Every woman out of every five women that come into our uh, office for services, there'd been four that had been sexually abused by friend, family, or foe. And I think that led to unhealthy relationships in their future. And also that um, because of those numbers, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but when they do come forward, um, it's just they're, and they're so isolated, these tribes, like I said here, they're way up in the foothills, they're way out. It takes many, you know, so a lot of them don't have transportation. And when they do start talking about these issues, I think that's where the numbers pick up. Okay. And, uh, but we, we do, we have those issues to where they don't talk about it. Now they feel safer. They have a place they can go to that might not um, be tribal. They might even go to another tribal to talk about the, the issues of what they're going through. Do, do tribal officials uh, historically and today take domestic violence and sexual assault among women seriously? Yes, they do. They take it very seriously. Um, I've had tribal chair people or tribal presidents talk to me about um, what's happening on the reservations and how we can make those changes. There's very few shelter programs for our Indian women to go into. Um, it's hard to get them to go into a program that might not be on a reservation because in California, I know we only have three shelter programs that are for native women. Um, so we usually put them in a um, county program, but the, the tribal chair people are very concerned about these issues and keeping the women safe. And because that's their home. If you yeah. live next door to your aunties, uncles, in-laws, outlaws, ex-laws, that's how those communities are set up. They're the family there for generations, and they don't want to leave that, so they want to change that dynamics of violence toward their tribal women. Do women, or have they in the past, left the reservation because of sexual assault or domestic violence? Yes, we've had um, not a lot, but there are women that relocate from one tribe up to another area to get away from it. So... Um, Maybe they don't want their children to see it or they feel safer moving away and they may move off the reservation to an area that they can provide housing and, and security for their children or themselves away from the perpetrator. 
Okay. And we, we were talking originally about, or initially, about jurisdictional issues. Are there jurisdictional issues for women who move from one reservation or one tribe to another? Um, now, see, that's a whole thing because California's jurisdiction is is different than, let's say, Oklahoma or, you know, Oklahoma, I think, is a public law 280 state to where, um, and, but South Dakota has different jurisdiction issues when it comes to tribes in California, and so does Alaska. And I think Alaska is a public law 280 state also, but the tribes that don't, Washington, Oregon, now those tribes are... Um, have their own tribal jurisdiction, their own tribal courts. So it's very different across the board when it comes to, you know, one size does not fit all when it comes to tribal um, issues in each state. Well, because each of these is a sovereign nation, is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay, I mean, it's not yeah. like we've got this nation and that nation. I mean, we've got this nation and that nation, that nation, that nation, that nation, right? Right. And you may have yeah. different bands, but they're their own nation. They may have the, the same namesake, but they're different bands of tribes. So it's very unique. It's very different from um, other indigenous people. Yeah. Well, and that makes it harder because, I mean, just looking at my community, my community is a small city. Uh, within the last 20 years, it, became, it got cityhood, right? So they don't right. have, this community doesn't have enough uh, resources to have police, so they contract with our county to provide policing. Um, and I would imagine that it's the same kind of thing. You know, these services to do road repair, for example, they don't have enough money, so they contract with, a, with the state to do road repair. And, you know, and so we're talking this about each tribe, uh, that they would sure. have to forge these partnerships and, you know, with, individually with each nation, with other structures, with other nations. Because they fall, and yeah. the tribes fall under federal jurisdiction. So the tribe have a government-to-government contract with the, our federal government. And during that time, too, there was no money put towards violence against Indian women. Now we have money that has filtered in in the last few years, so where we're setting up state coalitions. Um, tribes are coming together across the United States, our state tribal coalitions, um, talking about the issues affecting our Indian women, and also programs such as ours. Um, federal uh, funds started coming that way when there was just programs for violence against um, any woman. So state and, and tribes are coming together now more than I've seen 20 years ago when I began this process, um, and it's because of the changing the Violence Against Women Act um, and okay. laws that are changing. So it was definitely worth that fight and to have it, I mean, basically it expired um, because of the time limits and all that kind of stuff because of this argument that they were having over whether or not to include this provision in VAWA. Am I correct on that? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, uh, and in and in your estimation, doing doing this work, it it was worth that big brouhaha in order to get this provision in there, and 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 yes, provide this protection for. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. Yes, if you'd yes, like to I join our yeah, if you'd like to join our conversation, I I would encourage you to give us a call six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. That's six four six three seven eight. Zero forty three zero. You can also join our chat room. I've got the chat room open and uh, ready to take comments from you if you'd like to uh, post something in there that I can share with Linda. Linda, how you? We've talked a little bit about how VAWA changed this work, but the culture has changed a lot. And uh, I mean, just the world has changed a lot over the last twenty five years. Uh, when it comes to domestic violence issues. Have you seen some of those changes as well that are coincidental and just kind of more universal? Yes, I've seen tribes that are holding their batterers accountable. They've even gone to um, what they call banishment on some of the tribes here in, in some of the tribes in California. I don't know what the other states are doing, but for California, they've even gone to banishment. They have a banishment part of their reservation or they send those people and they're not allowed on the main part of the reservation. And, and they're making sure that they get prosecuted for the crimes that they have. And if they're non-native, then they're holding them accountable and women are stepping up and testifying in court against these batterers. So 
Um, it's becoming in the last, like I say, um, the last 15 years or so, very progressive Indian women. It started in the seventies with somebody just holding your, you know, letting them stay in your back bedroom. And now it's become a movement with its own because we see the need for it out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've let, uh, Indian women stay in my home one time before we, you know, before we go to court or bring them over to the house, because there's just no place that they feel comfortable going, but the movement is really changing in Indian women. We haven't got it all figured out, but we are working towards getting their needs met so they can make changes in their life and live on that reservation where generations before them have lived and feel safe. Well, you know, one of our local uh, advocates wrote an article, of course, this is Domestic Violence Awareness Week, or, or month, yeah. rather, and month. Uh, one of yeah. our, our local uh, advocates uh, who's been in this business a long time wrote an article for our, our local, for the Seattle Times, and mm-hmm. she made the point, no woman should have to choose between living with a batterer and homelessness. And I think that that is, that's really at the crux of it, isn't it? I mean, why should a Native American woman have to leave her reservation, her people, in order to be safe? Why should any woman have to leave her home when she's not doing the battering, when she's not the one that's breaking the law? It's somebody else. And yet we still find people saying, well, she should just leave, she should just leave. Um, you know, even even lawyers, you know, well, she should just leave, she should just leave, pa- pack up the kids and leave, you know. Um, is is that I'm assuming that that's something that's pretty universal whether you're a tribal member or not this notion that somehow or other it's your responsibility to get out of the situation am I wrong on that? well and, and my answer to that is everybody said she should leave if she has children if she's whatever her if she has a job whatever she's doing why doesn't he just stop battering why there do you go. make her take the brutal, you know, the violence, and then, okay, now you find a solution and get out of your home that you've lived there forever. And if you, you don't, know, and there's something wrong with you, you must want this, you know? <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's exactly. kind of a, yeah, yeah, it's like, wait a minute, exactly. you know, I mean, I, I'm supposed to uproot everything, including the children, because he's doing something inappropriate, wrong, and harmful. Um, but, okay, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and so that's I imagine, a different way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I think so that we are changing in that expectation for for a lot of women. At least that's my hope, is that we are seeing changes there um, in our cultural expectations for women who are uh, being battered. But there's also a change that I uh, am very happy about, and that is we've done, a, I think we, speaking universally, you know, human beings, have right, done a pretty right. good job of educating people about domestic violence, that broken bones and bruises are not okay. But right. I don't think we've done as good a job of explaining all those other forms of abuse and all of that other uh, stuff that makes life hellish for women that doesn't involve a broken bone or a bruise. Is that, um, you know, are you seeing that? Is that how how the is emotional that abuse? For yes, emotional, financial. I mean, you know, I mean, even you know, religious abuse. I mean, you know, spiritual where, where, abuse. Yeah, you know. So, are you seeing um, any? Are we still at the stage with Native American women where we're just trying to keep them alive? Or have we also been able to do make enough progress in that area that we can also start to talk and educate and find solutions for other kinds of abuse that Native American women face? It's kind of like open a door. It's open a door to, you know, now we have stalking issues. We have trafficking issues, especially on the reservations. I know up in the Dakotas, there's a lot of younger girls that are getting trafficked by, they call them demand camps up there. Um, We've even had them here in California come forward. Indian woman come forward, her daughter had been trafficked. Well, they, because we couldn't find the resources for that situation, the daughter ended up killing herself, taking her own life. And I felt terrible because we're just putting our foot inside the domestic violence, sexual assault movement. Now we have these other issues coming down. Stalking is part of domestic violence. And I see that as a very serious crime. Um, So you have to, 
stay with it. And, you know, it's kind of like a lifetime commitment for you to keep learning and, and know which direction we need to go. I've talked in front of the state legislators before regarding certain issues in Indian country. And it's just ongoing that we have to make these more violent acts aware to the public and to bring them together to find a solution, not just for our Indian women, but for all women that are suffering this trauma in their life. Exactly, exactly. I have a question um, in um, the chat room. What kind of mm-hmm. educational programs are going on on the reservations, or at least the ones that you know of, about domestic violence for perpetrators? There are some reservations that I have worked with that have batterers program, but they're um, native-specific um, and there was one program that the court saw as a program that Indian men could go to, and the court would allow them to go to that Native-specific program and do their 52 weeks batter intervention program. Now, there, I haven't seen a whole lot of those programs, but we're also trying to address the teens, the, the, young, the young kids that may have seen violence go on their whole life. And they, we all know what violence is. Let's learn what healthy is. Yeah. And so the tribes are getting more progressive and, and um, things are coming down that they can have a journal to keep. I've taught young girls and young boys um, what's a healthy relationship. We discuss those issues. And the tribes are moving more in that direction to try and get Native-specific batterers program, teen programs for future generations. And so that if the woman sometimes that wants to be with that man, he can be healthy again and they can change in which we all do in our life. We grow old, we change and maybe set it straight for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. What about men's involvement in domestic violence? I mean, I, I encounter because of the work that I do, I encounter a lot of men who are very active in uh, protecting women and domestic violence awareness. Um, Are we seeing that on the reservations as well? Um, There are some programs. Our tribes up here in the foothills are very small. I think the largest tribe up here is 1,000 Indian people, and the smallest one is 50. So our tribes, our 11 tribes up here in the foothills are very small, but the programs, one program is being, one tribe is being very progressive where we started our program at, and they're moving in that direction of, uh, and they're, uh, we had a um, native man work at our agency once for brief, brief period of time, something came up and he left. So we do try to incorporate that. You have to look at both sides of that too, as far as I'm concerned. Um, do women feel safe talking to a man? Um, so you have all those things that you look at, but a lot of times, and I've met men in other parts of California that women do feel safe talking to, and they are a good role model. This is what a healthy Indian man looks like. So I'm really mm-hmm. thankful for those uh, men that I've met during this journey, you know, during my time. So, yes, tribes are moving in that direction. Good. That, I mean, I think that that's one of the best things ever is to have good men involved with educating and working with uh, especially young people. Um, you, I mean, you, you just right. can't. You, you can't overestimate the importance of that. You really can't. So when they show by example. So Exactly. And well and, and the point that you made of we, we know what we're not supposed to do. So what are we supposed right. to do? I mean, I think we see that with child abuse a lot. You know, okay, we know we're not supposed to do th- you know, this when you know, the fifty fifth time that the kid has thrown her sippy cup of apple juice on the floor. We know what we're not supposed to do. But what are we supposed to do about that and and the frustration levels and all that kind of stuff. So to have right. that example uh, you know, of what you can do, what is healthy, what is appropriate, uh, you know, that that's uh, an amazing thing. I'm assuming that even though you're more familiar with California, that um, these trends are similar across the board, just as, you know, Washington State might have trends that Oklahoma hasn't seen yet, but they're heading that way. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, What is your sense? Do you you think that the awareness of this problem for Native American women uh, still has a ways to go, or do you think that we have made – 
uh, awareness and uh, 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 pretty uh, abundant. And what we're talking about now is programs and how to address it. Or what's your evaluation of that? I think because we finally have jurisdiction issues where we convict those non-batterers on tribal lands. That's just a midpoint because that's always been the way it, you know, for all of our histories, that's always been the way it's been. We have to make laws because as um, indigenous people, we have to make laws that affect people that aren't indigenous that are trying to um, cause violence, cause disruption, cause cultural changes on tribal lands. So we're just kind of stepping on the first rein of the ladder and we still got ways to go, but um, the tribes are moving forward. And two, it all depends because each state's tribal population is so unique and different, you know, with 555 tribes across the United States. I mean, Alaska is a large Indian population, California, and there's two other tribes that have very large Indian populations that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a state by state deal that goes on. Yeah. So I know when my up here in Washington State, my children every year in elementary school and and even into high school, they would have um, uh, history, uh, you know, that would address the uh, native population up here, and I was delighted that they did. But it also had for me, having grown up in the Midwest, it was like mm-hmm. it was almost like my children thought, okay, Native Americans are the Klingons. That you know, <laughs> that's <Right. it. laughs> and, well, you it's. Well, like in uh, California. When, 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 you know, they lived through the gold era here and they were killed because they lived on the land where the gold was and when the Spanish came and they were used as slaves to build those missions here in California. So there's a long history, you know, also of mistrust and things that have happened over the years. They had to leave their tribal land because we all know <clears throat> the state of California is a great place, very fertile, everything grows here, large population and tribes would move around to different locations. And so they almost exterminated more than half of the native um, population in California. So they're just regrouping, working together with non-native entities, you know, um, the federal government and coming around to say that now we have a voice. And especially I'm not talking about all the other politics. I'm talking about domestic violence and more women and more people are standing up because we know what happens on the reservations. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uniqueness um, to each state. So, Yeah. So are there, like, conventions for uh, people who work on the various tribes where they can get together and talk about what they're doing and what, you know, as far as domestic violence issues? They have a lot um, of – there's a big conference coming up in Palm Springs in December. It's violence against um, victims of crime in Indian country. The uh, casino tribe down there puts it on every other year. And it's one of the best conferences, I think, that anybody can attend when it comes to wanting to learn anything or everything almost about victims of crime in Indian country. Tribes come from across the United States, advocates, judges, attorneys, anybody that plays a role with anybody that's involved in any kind of criminal um, activities um, on on the helping end. But I think it's one of the best conferences um, for our tribes up here. Uh, once a year for the last couple of years, we've done a wellness, uh, Native Women's Wellness Conference. It's free. Indian women come. We talk about different issues, where we need to go. We do traditional healings. So, and I know each tribe has probably set up their own, but we're so vast here in California that I don't know what goes on across the state or across the nation always. I just know that there are programs that come up, and uh, we hear about a lot of them, but not all of them. But, you know, you can't always go from here to uh, Northern California, several hundred miles away, to attend something um, just because it's just not um, – you have the fun, no funds to get there. But um, yeah. more teleconferences are coming up that we're listening to, webinars, those type of things like this phone call. So that is what really is helping bring tribes together. Yeah, we were talking off air about you know, my frustrations with technology this week, and and you know technology can drive you to your knees most of the time. It really can. Um, however, right. there's no denying the opportunities that we have um, for this kind of education and these kinds of connections because of technology. So I'll I'll 
I'll re- try to remember that when I'm <laughs> cursing my computer this week. <laughs> and there's even, um, uh, I know the National Judicial College um, trains judges. There's very many tribal judges that partake in that, and they strictly talk about domestic violence and issues. So everybody's taking a uh, active role in this uh, movement to protect Native women and to keep them safe so they can live on those reservations that may be miles and miles away from anybody that they could ever access if, you know, somebody's taken advantage of on the, on the reservation. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, again, I, I don't mean to harp on this issue, but, you know, the fact is, that, well, according to the Department of Justice, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, um, mm-hmm. 70% of violent victimizations experienced by American Indians are committed by people not of the same race. And that's a lot higher yes. than with any other uh, racial uh, uh, group in the United States. So when we're talking, and and that's not necessarily on the reservations, you know, it's just in general. Right. But still, you know, to not have ha- allowed the uh, uh, reservations to, to justice system to take care of offenders, uh, because I, I, it just, I mean, it just seems to make so much sense, you know, that that this opportunity is now there, and it sounds like uh, it's going to open the door for a lot of good work when it comes to alleviating domestic violence. Right. We're talking and, about um, violence a lot, but, yeah, go ahead. That's a national number that it's uh, non-Native, and I know for just the program that I've been running for over 20 years now, um, we probably have more than half are native on native. And I know that's not the national statistics, but yeah. for our agency it is. It's even a little higher that we have more native on native coming to our doors than not. And maybe because we're a small program and we moved off the tribal grounds and became a nonprofit so that anybody could access our services, and that might be the reason why. So, you know. Yeah. Well, and you were saying that, you know, we've been talking about basically uh, victimization that occurs on the reservation. But you are talking about one of the reasons that your organization moved off the uh, uh, reservation is to assist the Indian women who are not living on a reservation. Right, all of them, because we have a lot of uh, Indian women that come in from other states living in California. Um, They might not uh, have access to – their tribe might not have any programs for them to access. So then they come to us for our services, and, and we go from there. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes they'll access us for our service, and we may put them on a bus back because there's no other way that they could get back to their own tribe. But um, yeah. tribes in California are becoming more progressive. You know, one of the local tribes is starting up a DV program, and they help us any way they can. Linda, you need to put her in a hotel overnight if we can't afford a hotel more than three nights or whatever we need. So the tribe is, you know, it's that uh, that is changing, and I really like the changes I see with the tribes coming up. Well, it's always encouraging when any group that's in charge or in power um, recognizes the extent of damage that domestic violence can do and starts to do something about it, I think. Um, what about funding? Now, you know, for some some tribes are wealthy. Some tribes with the casinos and everything, they've got good, you know, good sources of income. But that's certainly not every tribe, is it? No, we have less than 10% of the tribes in California of that 109, 110 tribes that have casinos and that are profitable casinos. So, um, and and we we ask for donations. Uh, Either we get it or we don't get it. I don't ask all the time. We get federal funding through uh, VAWA. And um, so we take that and I apply for uh, um, other funding. places that I go to through foundations, et cetera, et cetera. I was an advisory person to Blue Shield, and we get a little bit of money from Blue Shield. So there's other programs that I access besides the tribes because I think they're all working to set up their own program, those bigger tribes now. So it's kind of, you know, the money's limited, but it is out there, and we are accessing it now. Great, great. Um, Is there some sort of... um organization or some sort of methodology where tribes across the United States can compare notes and can can help fund each other, or is that pie-in-the-sky stuff at this point? Um, I think the needs are so high when you do have an agency because for our women, 
we have to provide transportation, which means like on my car, I may run 500 miles a week on my personal automobile. If they're on tribal land, they may have a federally funded car. Um, So with my staff and I, we use our own personal cars. Transportation is an issue, providing them food, providing them shelter. If they haven't, um, if they left with nothing, um, clothing. So there's a lot of issues that the funding goes towards. And I find other funding that will pay for some things. This one woman said, Linda, I got a house now. I can pay first and last. I just can't pay deposit on the electricity. So we helped them out. So everybody's looking for that money. So it's, you know, it's always competitive. And I guess I've been competitive for 20 years and still getting it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, you know, I've often thought one of the joys of being rich would be, (laughs) I I don't know. And at this stage in the game, I probably won't know any of the joys of being rich. Um, But I, I remember decades ago speaking with a young woman mm-hmm. who had a small child and her husband um was physically abusive terribly physically abusive uh the police arrested him they had a warrant for his arrest he was on the run and she and her daughter her small daughter were in the apartment that they had shared with with him and she was saying that she knows that he came, he she knew that he came to her door at night she could hear him outside the door she could see his feet reflected in the little gap in the lighting you know that she and right. she was terrified she was terrified and one of the sure. people who was there listening to her story with me said well move and she <laughs> just looked at that person dumbfounded and said I don't have money for the first and the last and the, you know. uh, uh, And at that time, I thought, if I had the money, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to be able to just reach in your pocket and say, here, here's a couple thousand dollars, you get out of there. Wouldn't that be the wonderful thing about having resources and money? and I I don't know. And when we do, like I said, we've put um, women on buses or sent them home to their own state, to their own tribe. And one young girl just recently, we put her on a bus home um, after the incident. And her family called us back and thanked us very much because they couldn't afford to pay for a bus fare. So those small things, and I've even dug in my own pockets to help women because I think that's where we're lacking. If we get them out of that situation, uh, sometimes there's no job. There's no education. There's no car. I need a babysitter. She's overwhelmed already before she even yeah. leaves the house that they want her to leave. Yeah. So well, and, and, and not only is there, <clears throat> yeah, that not only is there there no money, but you know sometimes you get the job and you can't keep it because you have to go to court or your kid is sick or whatever, and so there goes the you know the, there goes the job. They don't want to mess and, with that. I mean, it, it's right. the cards are so stacked against any yes. woman who's experiencing domestic violence, are the cards stacked even more against Native women? Um, I think so, because for them to leave the reservation or stay on the reservation, and I've had one woman tell me, you know what, Linda, I'd rather, excuse me, take an ass whipping once a month and stay here because I know this yeah. is familiar to me, than leave. And, well, and so that, I, I – yeah. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and then you bring in the children and the factors, and I haven't even asked you about this, but, you know, for any woman, you know, you've got that custody battle. And God help you if your abuser has mega bucks, because that can just go on forever. Um, What about Native American women? Do the the abusers go for the children when they can, and how does that work on reservations? Um, sometimes they do. We have cases where the fathers, um, it's, it's both, you know, it's either the, she's living on the res or, or he's there or they're both, you know, I mean, we've, I've had so many scenarios over the 20 years. Um, but, um, the cases where there's custody issues now, you know, um, and it all depends on who has an attorney who can, who can, because most of the time the women that come forward, they have an advocate and he has an attorney, whether he's tribal or not, and that's the yeah. hard part. And custody issues, it all depends if the child's from the res or not from the res, if you know certain things apply. So it's really a big gamut of what you have to look at in, in the, whole, the whole picture with custody issues and these Indian children. Well, in, in my experience, women stay for the children. 
I mean, seriously, yes, they like do. you were saying with your woman, you'd rather she'd rather have an ass open than have to, you know, uh, because yeah. most women realize that if they go, then their children are at risk, either because the mother can no longer protect them, because the courts right. are going to say, okay, dad gets custody, um, you know, or dad gets visitation, and so that means sure. mom can no longer protect the child, or, or if there's a real law enforcement. Law enforcement comes and takes the child after the second or third incident out of the home and says, you're failing to protect these children, and we're taking these yeah. children away from you. Right. Meanwhile, the court is saying, you have to let him see the child. You know, I mean, it's just a nightmare. Under the best of sure circumstances, I can only imagine if you're talking two different sovereign nations with two different sets of rules. and two, it, it just must be a nightmare for, for women who are experiencing that. Um, I, I mean, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine a woman having the courage to tackle that. Um, I mean, I sure. just, I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Right, um, and to go to court and decide that she's going to move away from everything she knows or stay. We've had women that, but they're working women, have a car, have a life, and they leave. But then when they get pushed to shove, then they go on the run with the children. And they they know they're breaking the law. I tell them, don't contact me anymore because I can't be involved in that. But they do what they think is in the best interest of the child at that time. Yeah, but if they get and caught, so, oh. Sure, we've Whoa. had them get caught, and they call me, Linda. They took my baby. So now they got to jump through these hoops, supervised visitation after they were the ones beat up on the reservation. Yeah. And he's, yeah. there, he's on the res, too. They're both from the same reservation, but now she doesn't have custody. <clears throat> and she's fighting to get custody of her child back because it's just not right. So, you know. You know, I, I wrote a, a book several years, years ago uh-huh. um, about women's stories, and um, there was one woman who was in the book who lost custody of her son, and she fought. She fought for a very long time. And after going to court one more time, she contacted me and said, my hu- ex-husband is turning my son into him. And she killed exactly. herself. You know, it's just, you know, I, I think it, it, it absolutely is, it, it is gut-wrenching. It is gut-wrenching. Um, and yet, I, you know, when you were talking about the reservation judges being educated, I'm so excited about that because I think that depending on where you are, uh, some judges do a great job. Some judges have good education about domestic violence. But I have encountered so many judges who do not get it, who just don't get it. And I'm just seeing horrible travesties occurring with children. Um, and I, as I'm saying that, I'm realizing that probably people are out there going, oh, come on, come on, you know. No, no I, I, no. I see it. I see it. And I think that, you know, I mean, I am probably the last living 1970s-something feminist, and I'm, I'm proud of my, my feminist leanings, and I'm proud of our feminist history. But i got to say, I think we shot ourselves in the foot with this whole nation notion that men can be as good a parent as women. Sure, they can be, but we just really, we convinced a whole generation of judges that it makes no difference whether it's the mother or the father. And, and I just, ugh. Is that happening on reservation? Um, we've we've seen that happen. I'm working in some of the cases that have come by me in the last couple of years. With uh, we have up here in the foothills because we don't have a tribal court. But when they come off the res and we're working with the commissioner, that I'm I'm writing paper on him because he's been very uh, demeaning to the woman. He's uh, always for the father, and I see that in all the cases that have come before him. And so there's issues that we're hearing about the judges now. And we're, I'm not saying all judges. I don't throw them all in a basket. Um, sure. You know, I have very yeah, close some, friends that are judges. Yeah. Yes, there are. And I was in court the other day in Northern California with one that was treated the women very respectful. He listened intently, and he even said, I've been through this 50 years ago. I know what you're going through. And they kind of looked at him. So, yes, there's good and bad, but the ones that, um, that I think are a detriment to women, I put them in check. I get a hold of the Judicial Performance Committee. I have the client write letters. We write letters because I think it needs to be addressed. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's very, you know, uh, the other thing that I'm seeing is a lot of, you know, when women are upset or there's this travesty and there seems to be a hint of, you know, um, outrage, the gag orders go into effect. Is that also a part of tribal procedure? Do they they tend to do that as well? Um, We we haven't had to deal with any of that, Um, but once we put them in a safe-at-home program, as we call it, to where they're address is confidential, then there is a, you know, um, that all comes inclusive of that. But yeah. we've had those men that just, they just can't shut their mouth about anything. But, I mean, we've had women that do the same thing too. So um, yeah. I don't, we haven't had that particularly, you know, with our little agency. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking yeah. a lot about domestic violence, but we're also, the same conversation applies to sexual assault, does it not? How would the conversation about sexual assault be different from what we've been talking about with domestic violence issues? Um, I think a sexual assault with uh, our Indian women is a is a, not a real comfortable topic for them to talk about. It's only um, when they come into our agency um, after they meet with us and we sit down and talk to them, because we do it with all the staff, our staff immediately becomes their family, um, then they can call on any of us for assistance or they kind of cling to one person. Then they start disclosing, you know, some things in their life, maybe the sexual assault. And like I said, four out of five women that have come forward has been sexually abused in her life. And, I mean, that's just a fact. But they don't ever. They don't want to tell everybody about that. And I've had to tell some of the shelter programs. Don't ask them about their sexual assault because they don't want to talk to you. And you know, I address the, the, the shelter programs we put our Indian women into because I want them to feel comfortable, if at all possible, when they're at those county shelter programs. So, but yeah. it's a, it's an issue. We're we're seeing it. It's just. Um, you want to be respectful when you're talking about it in Indian country, but you want to get to the point too. We're making an impact and talking more about domestic violence. And I think sexual assault is, is getting there, but we need to step up a little more with the sexual assault because it is happening. It is happening on the reservations, off the reservation. It's, it's just happens. So. Yeah. Indian women aren't with that. So. Yeah. It's, it's so unfortunate that, um, all of these issues, whether you're on a reservation or off a reservation, you feel so alone. And it sounds to me like organizations like yours are trying to help the women who are dealing with this, the Native American women, not feel so alone. Am I right about that? Yes, yes. We get them involved. Uh, we have a group that meets once a month at our office that they're all welcome to. And we got some women that have been coming there for years, older women, 50s, 60s talking, you know, and they help the younger women that step up and come to the group. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, because it kind of shows them if, that you, you eventually can get past this. You can. It doesn't mean you will Yeah. for some. So. Um, what about the difference between the generations? Are you seeing a difference for older women who are experiencing this? Are younger women uh, treating it differently? Are they getting different help? What is there a difference in the generations when it comes to Native American women and uh, sexual and domestic violence? Yes, the younger women are coming forward more. Um, in past generations, to the, our elders, they have suffered the boarding school experience, um, loss of cultural identification, those type of things. You don't really hear a lot of things from them. They keep things quiet into themselves. It wasn't let's talk about it all the time. But now... Um, the older women that are, are in the movement are now talking about it to help these younger women who the younger women are coming forward more so now than they ever were before and to seek assistance, to seek making changes, you know, cause we have, I think two big uh, tribal state coalitions, one in Southern California and one in Northern California that um, you see, they're always promoting, let's do a walk for domestic violence. Sexual assault is something they address, but I don't know how far they're taking a sexual assault yet, but yes, Younger women are stepping forward now. I've heard in Pine Ridge they're making a stand um, because they think it's important for the next generation. They don't want their children to live through what they've lived through. Yeah. yeah. So that makes when you live such... in that community forever, you got to change it. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, uh, how common are organizations like yours for Native American women? 
Um, ours is one of six funded in the state, um, four of them on, on reservation. Mine and one other program in downtown L.A. are off the reservations. So, and now, but those aren't just, the other ones are on reservations, and there's a lot more money that tribes can access for just tribal programs. So there are a lot of, you know, there are other programs. I didn't see them back when we started in 97. Um, our tribe was was very progressive in getting this agency started, and money was put out there right when we started talking about violence against women. And so they applied for it, secured the money, and we've had it ever since. And now they're putting more money out with a reauthorization of violence against women. So tribes are now stepping up and creating their own tribal programs, maybe because they have a big tribal population and encompass several tribes around them. So it's like the tribal courts here. One tribal court may work with three or four tribes around that reservation, and, you know, three or four reservations with that one tribal court. So, and that's what they're doing with the money now. And they're, they're sharing information resources when we can, we keep in touch. Linda, I got a woman, she needs to come up to Northern California. Can you take her for me? Sure. So we put them on a bus, we send them up, we do what we have to do now. So it's becoming a, it's every year the network gets bigger and gets better for our women. Wow, I'm looking at our time, and um, we're running out. <laughs> There's still so much to know and so much to learn. I, I really appreciate your efforts. You have a resource list for us, right, that you're going to share some re- some sources for people to go for help? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we have a uh, – we, we don't have a website. We have a Facebook account, um, okay. and that is uh, – Facebook.com forward slash, and it's K-E-N-E-M-E-W-U. And uh, we have resources we've been putting on that, the Healthy Teen Relationship Workbooks, um, and I'm going to be putting more information on there. Um, I just think it's imperative. The The stuff that I have in my brain needs to get out and be shared because we've been collecting information for many years now. And it, it needs to be out there for everybody to utilize it. So I'll be putting those resources and, and information and books on the website in the, in the next couple of weeks. And are you selling those to other individuals and organizations? Um, no, those are tribal programs. And back east, there was a tribe that is making this uh, resource manual for healthy teen relationships. They made it for girls. We utilize it several times. And now they've created one for young boys. And then they have a facilitator guide. And you have to order that from... A, a tribe back east. So, you know, each tribe can offer you a little something. So, and we'll put okay. those resources out there. Okay. And then there's so a there, national. At your, face, at, at your Facebook uh, page, right? Yeah, we'll put those on there. Okay. Because there's Terrific. a good uh, National Indigenous Women's Resource Center that anybody can go to and find information. Okay, mm-hmm. give that again the, the National Indigenous Women's yeah, Resource Center? Yeah, N-I-W-R-C, National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, and it's .org, N-I-W-R-C.org. Okay. My pen just went dry. N-I-W-C.org? N-I-N-I-W-R-C.org. R-C. Okay, .org. Okay, terrific. That will give me a place to go to as well to learn more about this topic. And your Facebook page, again, is Facebook, uh, K-E-N-E-M-E-W-U? Yes. Okay. It's it's hard to give these kinds of strings of of letters and stuff, so that's why I want to repeat it several times so that if people were looking for a pencil, they can find one. So those are a couple of resources. If a woman is in California and needs to contact you, how would she? Um, we have an 800 number she can contact us through. Um, okay, go ahead and do that. That's 1-800-792-7776. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. She, Linda, she I really our, appreciate your your coming on the show and sharing with us your knowledge and expertise. Um, and as I said when I started the show, I, I you know, this is an area where I'm woefully um, uh, uninformed, and I appreciate the last hour because you helped me learn just a little bit more about Native American women and uh, violence. I usually end the show with a quote, and we were talking off air, and I said I was having a hard time finding a quote, but you said you have one. It's time to share your quote, Linda. What's your quote to end the show? 
It's a native woman wrote it. It's a bottom of her poem. And all it is, is a battered woman was not born. A battered woman was formed. And so I believe that. I believe no woman is born wanting to be violently hit or abused. And that quote means a lot. That is wonderful. That's wonderful. Yes, it is. A a battered woman was not born, but she is formed. A battered woman was formed. Thank you so much, Linda, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Uh, Step by next week, and uh, we will tackle another fairly soft topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you very much. Bye.